Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to a new episode of Field Days, an award-winning podcast about news and hot topics related to the Michigan Department of Corrections. Here are your almost witty hosts, Chris Gouts and Greg Straub. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. I'm Greg Straub, joined as always by the department spokesperson, Chris Gouts. Chris, last week we had you know, an FOA employee on who I, who I thought it was a great episode, new agent, energetic, raring to go. And today we have not a new employee, but somebody who has been around for uh, probably longer than you have been on this earth, Mr. Gouts. What do you think? I think that is uh, definitely true. Yeah. So, you know, I'm excited to talk to Judd Gildersleeve, who is a residential program unit chief um, over at MTU um, in Ionia. And Judd has been with the department for over at this point now, 50 years. So I can't wait to get into this discussion with Judd and talk about a lot of stuff. But I, I will let uh, I will let Judd tell everyone out there who he is and kind of where he's bounced around in his 50 years with the Department of Corrections. So Judd, I can't thank you enough for coming on Field Days. I can't wait to have a conversation with you today. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So give everybody a glimpse of who you are and kind of where you've been in the department. Well, I started with the department 50 years ago and was in the Reception and Guidance Center at the State Prison of Southern Michigan and doing intake assessments of incoming prisoners. And I was only with one other psychologist there doing this. So we saw the 5,000 or so prisoners that would come in every year to the reception center. And uh, so that meant that I would see at least 30 a day for assessments, which was a little ridiculous. Uh, we didn't have the pre-sentence investigation reports at the time, so we had to rely on whatever the prisoner told us and some psychological testing that was done. And we did these really fast assessments and then dictated them on uh, these wide tapes that they used to use. And the next prisoner would be coming in for his assessment as I was finishing up the dictation. Well, I got so good at that that I had time to run some groups. So I started some sex offender and assault of offender groups. Uh, I did that for a couple of years. And then uh, I was asked if I would pioneer the Ionia prison facilities and be the first psychologist to work in those prisons. So I agreed to give it a trial for six months. And I went up to the Michigan Reformatory an old warden that you may have heard of, Dale Fultz, was the warden there at the time, and Handlin was the superintendent at uh, MTU. And I would see the prisoners uh, that were on observation status or whatever at the reformatory in the morning and then go over to MTU in the afternoon. And I did that from 1975 until about 1979 when uh, the civil service uh, commission was doing benchmarking of all positions in the state. And they were, the word I heard was they were going to downgrade or redline psychologists and uh, uh, wouldn't be able to make uh, very much money. So the warden folks talked me into becoming a hearings officer. So I became a hearings officer for four years and I had the pleasure of, or displeasure of hearing the uh, misconduct reports for the rioters that were involved in the 1981 riots that occurred at 
SPSM and at the Reformatory and Marquette. It turned out that the Civil Service Commission ended up raising the psychologist pay after all. So in 1983, I went back as a psychologist at the Reformatory. And over the next few years, we were able to get uh, a few more positions. So in 1987, I became a lead worker for the two facilities in Ionia. At one point in time, uh, I think it was 1977, the Riverside Correctional Facility, uh, which had been a mental hospital, became a prison facility. And so I also would go to Riverside in addition. So at one time, I was the only mental health professional for all three facilities, about 3,000 prisoners. So then in 1983, I became a psychologist again, like I said, then a lead worker. And then 1989, I became the chief psychologist for the psychologists in Ionia and in Carson City, the uh, level four and the level two prisons up there. And we kept accumulating more and more staff. And so this went on uh, for a number of years. Uh, eventually, I became in 1995 the psychological services director for the Ionia complex. And then uh, we got some more chief psychologists. Uh, over time, Muskegon facilities were added to my catchment area, then the St. Louis facilities, and then the Coldwater facilities. So I was the regional psychological services director for what they called region two at that time. There were three regions for 17 years until they decided to get rid of region two and combine region one and three, uh, at which point they abolished my position and all the other administrative positions in region two and ended up with the northern region and the southern region that we have now. So I was uh, scheduled to bump the regional psychological services director at Marquette, which I uh, didn't want to have happen. <laughs> uh, I had two girls uh, still in school and would have had to sell my house and move up to Marquette. And uh, that wasn't in the cards for me. So I bumped uh, a chief psychologist at uh, the what was formerly the Ionia Maximum Correctional Facility, which is the Ionia Correctional Facility now, and uh, continued to be the chief psychologist for all the Ionia facilities. And then a few years later, got the opportunity to come over here to the residential treatment program uh, as a unit chief. And I have a team of about a dozen people, including a psychiatrist and psychologists and social workers and counselors and couple of recreation therapists, and uh, I found my uh, retirement home, so to speak, here. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Yeah, no, I think uh, it's funny where you, you said you found your retirement home. I think you got a lot of years left in you. I don't know what you're talking about. But, you know, Judd, I, I'm curious. You, you talked about, you know, you're a psychologist, and then you had to go into it. You know, you were a hearings investigator. But clearly, you're in a, you're a, you know, social work and psychology is it, you're that's your trade, right? That's what you, that's you got into this business for. So one, like what, what made you as a psychologist or you know, involved in social work, what made you want to come to the Department of Corrections and do this, you know, at, at this level? I don't know. I, I, I got my foot in the door by just applying to a state position. 
And I interviewed at different places. And the one that was including uh, the old top six psychiatric unit at Jackson, Northville, uh, Kalamazoo Regional, I didn't want any of those. They didn't appear attractive to me. But when I interviewed uh, for the position of the reception center, that seemed more to my liking for whatever reason. Uh, I like working with prisoners. I like working in this system. I'm able to uh, communicate very effectively with prisoners. I'm able to build rapport quickly. I understand them. I don't know. It's just uh, for, it takes a particular personality, I think, to work in this environment. Sure. And and to like it. No, I well said. And uh, you know, and I'm sure over your you know over your career, you've seen because you said you said you think you work well, you know, with, with people that are that are struggling, that are convicted of crimes, that have made mistakes. I mean, have you have you been able to see um, changes in people? I mean, does that does that keep you going? I I, I mean, seem like you want to help people, and you got to this job to to help people. Do you, do you actually see progress, and do you see people making changes inside? Oh, absolutely. Filling in some of the gaps uh, when I first hired in in the reception center, we would make recommendations for programming. So for sex offenders, for instance, we would recommend the sex offender program for assault of offenders, we'd recommend the assault offender program, but there weren't any psychologists out in the field to deliver these programs. So I asked uh, my supervisor, why are we recommending something that doesn't really exist? And uh, he said, to establish the need. Well, I started running some groups and there was nothing to guide me. So it was kind of like trial and error type of situation for me, but I found that the prisoners could learn and they could improve. So prisoners that got misconduct reports all the time would find that they wouldn't get as many reports or they'd stop getting the misconduct reports when they finally started learning some skills. The sex offenders would learn about their uh, behaviors and maybe what set them off and uh, some lights would come on. So. At least I knew that, but I didn't have any statistics to show that it was actually working. But then uh, over time, we eventually uh, joined the computer age and we were able to track prisoners. And uh, at one point I did a uh, sex offender. I started with sex offenders, the sex offender uh, study to see how effective we were because we had thousands of prisoners in our database that had either successfully completed sex offender therapy or partially completed sex offender therapy or didn't complete it at all, never got an opportunity, who were paroled. And then I was able to follow up and see if they came back to prison and what they came back for and uh, kind of put a price tag on the time that they got. So if somebody came back for a Another sex offense, I would know that. I would know if the sex offense that the prisoner came back for was more serious than the first time. And I would know how much time he got. And I kind of multiplied that times $25,000 a year at the time and compared that with the different groups. Well, it turns out there was absolutely no question that the prisoners, uh, and it was, we did all this statistical analysis and the, uh, Prisoners who successfully completed sex offender therapy uh, came back much more infrequently on new sex offenses or any new crimes. And when they did come back for a crime, it was generally not a sex offense. 
and it was much less serious than their original crime compared to the prisoners, for instance, that had uh, not received any treatment. They came back for more sex offenses, uh, more serious sex offenses for a bigger time. So uh, I used that uh, research. In fact, uh, I provided that research to your father, uh, Greg, and I think that helped the department to focus on the importance of providing a standardized sex offender program. And I ended up writing up the first sex offender program statement and first assault of offender program statement. I got that approved statewide, probably in the late 90s. And before that, we didn't have a standardized program. So uh, this program has, you know, materialized to the point where uh, it's now centralized, which I recommended years ago, uh, that we have specialists that provide this treatment that are specialists in providing sex offender therapy, and that's what we do now. So we have uh, a much more evidence-based practice. Back in 2010, the department contracted with the Center for Sex Offender Management Federal uh, Government Agency. Two of their experts came down and they evaluated our program and made recommendations based upon their research and on the Canadian model that was the state of the art uh, evidence-based program. And that's essentially what uh, has been built upon in the department since then, because uh, the program was then centralized and is run by a separate administrator. And so those uh, psychologists and social workers that provide the sex offender program don't have to be experts in everything like we used to have to be. It was uh, a little incomprehensible and unrealistic yeah, to expect a psychologist to be an expert in sex offender therapy, an expert in assaultive offender therapy, an expert in, in uh, suicide risk assessments, uh, and every other thing that we do, pro board evaluations, the works. So. Yeah, well, I was going to say, like, you know, you, you talk about in the 70s doing sex offender groups and this kind of thing. I mean, there was no research or evidence even uh, out there about this kind of thing back in the 70s, I'm sure. There's so much research now, but uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, you've seen you've seen so many changes. Chris, and I can't imagine, I'm sure you have questions too, but um, I can't imagine the changes that you have seen in 50 years with the Department of Corrections from um, doing an assessment and dictating it to now, you know, assessments are all done on computers and they kind of do it for you. But go ahead, go ahead Chris, get in there if you want to. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I wanted to lead off with is that, you know, obviously just listening to you, it's, it's clear uh, that you're really a pioneer uh, in this field and have made a lot of changes that are going to live on you know, and, and you've made a lot of uh, made a huge difference. But when, when you go back, so when you started, Perry Johnson was probably the warden, right? Or had he already moved moved on? I don't. Yeah, he might have been. I, it's hard for me to it's remember. Been, I've been, been through a lot of wardens. It's been, been quite a while. But uh, so, I mean, th that was my question is just I'm just wondering what you know, the biggest changes that you feel like you've seen between when you started and you're doing 50 some prisoners a day coming through intake to what you're doing now and just, I'm sure it's just dramatically. Oh, yeah. I mean, you you mentioned the advent of uh, the computers. I mean, uh, uh, we used to do all our documentation in handwriting notes in the medical record. Well, you can imagine that, you know, very uh, inconvenient. You might see a guy for a suicide risk assessment and then have to go to the healthcare area and track down his record, his 
paper record and that could be in the dental area or who knows where and now we have you know computers mm-hmm. and so and going back to what you said and, and I, I clearly technology has made the job uh, easier and and being able to do things more efficiently uh, but i just wondered like overall with how you've seen mental health issues and treatment in prison change and probably just even just the acknowledgement that mental health uh, exists and that there are and that these right. things are, are real. That's probably the, the big well, difference. Compared to when I hired in and there were just a handful of mental health professionals in the whole Department of Corrections, there might be a psychiatrist here or a psychiatrist there and a social worker here or there and lots of facilities with no mental health services whatsoever. And over time, we started hiring more and more people. Along came this consent decree, and that was provided major changes for the department, and it brought in psychiatric services. During that time in the 80s, the first outpatient psychiatric team started as a pilot program at the Michigan Reformatory. Now uh, we have, I don't know, maybe 300 Uh, mental health professionals working in the department, uh, somewhere around that number. And every single facility in the state has mental health professionals available to the prisoners. So if they refer themselves or staff refer them, they are going to see a mental health professional and they're going to be referred on to any services they need or provided the services at their facility. So we have Mm -hmm. the full range of levels of care for the prisoners and uh, I mean, it's it's outstanding. I mean, if you had asked me, you know, even 40 years ago, would I have my own little team here for the residential program of a dozen people? I'd say no way in heck, you know, and if you just said, and we're gonna have mental health services available at every single facility and we're gonna have substance abuse programs and. Uh, separate sex offender program and all the things that we have now, I would have been shocked. So it's really rewarding to, you know, have been involved as a participant in watching all this and having some impact on getting more and more people by showing the value of these services over no, the years. For for sure, and uh, and, and I know for for uh, folks listening who work in the department or who who work in Jackson or have worked with you. You know, and and for a lot of our uh, newer employees, younger employees, you know, they see names on the wall on the sides of buildings. They they know the names of our facilities, like Charles Eckler and and Dwayne Waters. But like you worked, <laughs> you literally worked with them, and so uh, it's great to it's, it's amazing that we have someone who's still here with us, who's able to inform and educate our employees who worked with some of these people, who's now, uh, you know, that they know because of they they walk past them, even at your own, uh, you know, facility, the Richard A. Hamlin Correctional Facility is someone you worked, you know, worked alongside with. So I think that's really uh, great. And and when you think about that, you know, I know that there was recently a celebration for you and your honor at, at the facility and Director Washington came and, and the warden and, and Marty K. Sherry and Dave Dottie and a bunch of others. And they were going to give you a service pen, but they I think they found out that the state doesn't actually make a 50-year service pen for some reason. I guess they don't think that nobody's going to nobody's gonna stick around that long. So uh, I thought that was pretty uh, unique. And so, but I, it looks like they had a really nice celebration for you and they made you uh, some, uh, a nice plaque and some other things. And that, I wonder what, wonder what that meant to you. I heard it was, might've been a surprise. Yeah, I was a total surprise. Uh, the day before the director came up uh, with her entourage, uh, the mental health staff here surprised me with a potluck lunch and gifts and 
a lot of gag gifts and it was a lot of fun. I had no idea because I was summoned to the warden's office just before lunch. I was about to head up and get my sandwich and and <laughs> oh, the warden needs to see you now about uh, all these uh, changes that are, are going to happen with the closing of the reformatory and uh, another facility and what positions you're going to get. And she has to fill in this chart and stuff. So I got to the warden's office and she uh, did an Academy Award performance and hooked me in hook, line and sinker uh, and said, OK, well, let's go up to the conference room where I've got a chart and we'll fill in some of the blanks here and some of the positions that are going to be filled by the uh, mental health staff that are going to be coming over here from the reformatory. And uh, we went down the hall. It's dark kind of. And and then she opened the door to the conference room and it was dark in there. She turned the light on and here's all the mental health staff there, you know, surprise. And then so I definitely wasn't expecting another one <laughs> the <laughs> next day when I opened up the door to the lunchroom, you know, to have my sandwich that I didn't eat on the day before. And to find uh, the room was packed with people from my past uh, that are retired, uh, Warden Withrow from the reformatory uh, and a couple of people that were ADWs there, uh, the director, the deputy directors, uh, uh, all kinds of folks and uh, a lot of people that I had tutored and mentored uh, that came from around here to surprise me and other retirees. Uh, mm. There are a number of uh, people that I've trained and that have gone on to become unit chiefs and they were there, several of them. And it was a uh, really good to see, you know. That's that, that's great. And and uh, now given all your history and your longevity, you're probably too smart uh, to answer this question. But, you know, when I was looking back at your history, I noticed that when you started, uh, Gus Harrison would have been the director. So that means you've served under every single uh, director that this department's ever had. So I don't know if you want, if you cared to rate them, uh, we, we'd give you that time. Uh. Oh, Chris, what a loaded question you ask. <laughs> what a loaded question there's, you there's, ask. There's, I don't think there's much disagreement among anyone here today that uh, Director Washington is uh, probably the best. Uh, <laughs> she's, she's, you know, kind of born and raised in the Department of Corrections. She's uh, moved up the ranks. She knows the uh, the ropes. She's not as much of a politician as some of the directors we've had in the past. Uh, I think, and uh, very progressive, very uh, interested in having diverse uh, employees and moving ahead. I've also had some really good immediate supervisors for many years, particularly when I was the uh, regional psychological services director. I had my boss would be the uh, regional healthcare administrator, and I had some good ones. Probably the best of the bunch was uh, Milani Brim. I don't know if anybody remembers her. Uh, she's moved on to greener pastures, but uh, she was a major advocate for continuous quality improvement and continuous quality management. And uh, she inspired me to always go for something a little higher than just uh, maintaining the status quo. I, I prefer not to be the one that goes along with don't rock the boat. I prefer to see changes made to benefit <laughs> sure. everyone. Well, uh, I got I got uh, just two more quick ones for you. One, uh, we've asked someone this before who we've had on the podcast who had been with us for the department for quite a while. 
just because we all just have to know how much annually are you accumulating every pay period after 50 years? Well, unfortunately, there's a maximum that you can get, <laughs> and that's 10.2 <laughs> hours of annual leave. Uh, so I have to, I keep a little uh, cheat sheet on my desk and uh, so that I don't end up going over my max. Very complicated. I should probably have an administrative assistant doing this because it's a, uh, it's weekly. I'm just kidding. Well, judge, judge, you have you get ten point two. That's uh, roughly about nine point two more than Chris gets every pay period. So uh, that's that's that's. Good. I got something. To, I got something to shoot for. And 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 just before we go, I know uh, obviously people might think here you say you've been with us for fifty years and we you had a big celebration. Uh, they might think that this is like our, our retirement, uh, but 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 it's not. And so I just wonder. Yeah, it sounds like for sure you're not ready to retire yet. But I, I'm wondering, you know, just. Is any, anybody in your family, anybody out there ready for, for Judd to retire? Or is there something that once you get to that point, you're looking forward to doing? Or do you just love this job and you just want to keep going? No, my, my uh, I probably shouldn't say this. My wife is kind of the queen of the honeydew list. And uh, so the honeydew list is about 20 inches long now. <laughs> and so I need a place to rest up during the time that I'm working, you know. <laughs> uh, I Usually when I come in here on Monday morning, I'm pretty sore. I've been doing lots of work. I have lots of acres and lots of trails that I maintain and uh, lots of wood to keep up with cutting and, and never-ending uh, list of honeydew projects my wife has for me. So uh, rather than working for her 24-7, uh, <laughs> I need to come in here and do something else. Plus, I really enjoy it. This is my home away from home family here. Uh, I have a lot of young people that uh, can benefit from my years of knowledge and my skills. And I love having them and uh, seeing them develop and grow. So uh, my my two daughters are, they're on their own. They've been out and about for years and years and they're both professionals and in other states. So uh, it's just me and my wife at home. And, and this gets me out of her hair for a while and vice versa. So keeps you young. I like it. That's good, Judd. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you, you know, you you have, you know, given 50 years to this department and as you have talked about, made some pretty significant changes over your 50 year career that we're still doing today. Right. I mean, the changes that have benefited human beings. Let's be honest. Right. They, they benefited yeah. human beings yeah. to get better, change skills, yeah. Uh, yeah. learn new skills, yeah. and they're better for they're better for you being here. So I hope you I hope you recognize that. I hope you realize that you have made an impact. You know, I can't even imagine like, countless people, hundreds, thousands of people that you've interacted with in your 50 years. So um, and not and not just, you know, the the, the people that you see every day, but your the your coworkers and your in, in, the, in the staff. So thank you so much, uh, one, for coming on field days and talking about your uh, illustrious career that is still going. It's still going on. So um, and two, thanks for what you do. You know, like we just talked about, you, you're you're making you're making a difference. And, you know, we, we appreciate you a lot. So th thank you for everything you do. Well, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed it. Well, Chris, you know, I I bet you could only wish you could uh, have 50 years in one job. You know, I, I know you bounced around quite a bit in your uh, your career and, you know, you landed so far right now at, the, at Corrections. And could you imagine doing 50 years, you know, at, at one location? That's really, that's really awesome. I mean, I, got, I have 20 years and that's, you know, that's like, it's, <laughs> that's a, it's a lot more years past 20. And uh, it's really cool to have him on and, you know, in, the best part about Judd is that he has no intentions of 
quitting, right? I mean, not quitting, but stopping working, <laughs> which is which is amazing. You know, it's 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 really the the work that he's put into this job is uh, for fifty years is is awesome. Yeah, no, it's really inspiring. Uh, I would love to be have been someplace for fifty years. And just that institutional knowledge and all the lives that you can change in that time is is really great. And it must be something in the water in Ionia because you remember back uh, well, four yeah. or five years ago we did an interview yeah. with Officer Finnis. Uh, over at just across the street at IBC, uh, who had been there. Yeah, let me guess. Let me, let me remember, like 46 or 48 years, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it was 46 some years. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know what it is uh, over there, but, uh, but, but it's great. But it also just speaks to uh, this department and, you know, how much of a, how much of it our employees turn it into a career. It's not just a job. It's something that once they get into it, they may not have thought that they were going to, you know, retire uh, from there or spend the next three or four decades or more of their lives there. Uh, but they find that the, the work really rewarding and the people and and the people that they ha- get a chance to work with and, and shape and change and for the better. I think this will be more of a common thing um, over the years because people just really come to love it here. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really appreciate Judd coming on and talking about, um, you know, his experience in his career. So, but we do, you know, we do, we oftentimes have shout outs. I know we had one last, last week, you gave a nice shout out to the new veterans uh, staff person who, you know, it was, it was Navy's birthday. So that, that was awesome. And this week we have another shout out and this shout out comes from supervisor Scott Collins of the Muskegon probation office. So Scott's a, a wonderful, wonderful human being too. So he sends a shout out for, do you want to recognize agent Tim Jones? And the shout out goes something like this. So Tim's kids are, are one's graduated, the other one's still uh, in school. And they, they both were involved in the band at their at their school. And recently, and Agent Jones is heavily involved, you know, in helping fundraise and do things um, for the band. And this is this is this is what makes Agent Jones um, awesome. So he was volunteering for, for the band, selling 50-50 raffle tickets at one of their um, homecoming football games this year. And they raised a lot of money. You can, you can imagine at a homecoming game, Chris. And guess who won that 50-50 raffle, Chris? I can only imagine. It was Agent Jones, which is awesome. And you would think like, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of money. You went on a Friday night. is awesome. Take it. <laughs> Go out and do something nice for yourself. But what he did was he gave all that money back to the band, which I think is amazing. I mean, hundreds of dollars. Um, I wouldn't say exactly how much in the email it did say, but um, hundreds of dollars worth of money that was his, that he gave back to um, the band to support his school and the kids in the band. And um, I think that's really, really, really awesome. You know, it, it definitely speaks to his commitment to his community. And I think that we we don't talk about that enough. You know, we talk about people and the job they do for us and it's amazing, but the job they do outside of this job in the communities for their families, for, you know, friends, I, I think it's really awesome. And agent um, Tim Jones speaks directly to that when, you know, it's it's awesome. So, you know, but in addition to that, he also coached youth soccer for many years and, you know, it, it, he always assists within the office. He's respected by his peers and Scott, um, I can tell you, uh, adores him and, you know, thinks very, very highly of him. So, Thank you for what you do, um, Tim and Scott. Thanks for sending that in um, so we could give uh, Agent Jones a shout out. Chris, I'm going to ask you. I know you haven't taken your survey yet. Did you take it yet? Uh, yes, uh, as we brought up several times, I took it the very first day and uh, I encourage everyone else to uh, take it. We just got a few more days up until the 24th as the last day to take it. So we encourage everyone to go out and do that. Hey, you ever watch uh, You ever watch Jeopardy by chance? I do in the most obvious and awkward uh, segue you've ever done ever. So I know I, I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, I do watch uh, Jeopardy. 
Did you, did you have uh, another question? Did, uh, and, and a que well, did you watch it? Did you watch it recently? I mean, did, did you watch it recently? Have, have you watched I, it? I mean, was, I, I it, was did, there any cool I, questions? I, I did watch uh, Jeopardy recently, yeah. and I was surprised, as, as many were. And we, we know, I know we had a number of people who saw this and, and sent this to us. It was very, very cool. Uh, let's see if you can get this uh, Jeopardy question correct, Greg. Okay. Uh, the, the answer is... Prisoners really do make these. In Michigan, rolls of aluminum are used to produce about 10,000 per day. I, I got it. I, I don't know what was this, how much money was for this question because I got it. It's what I is think it was a, license I think plates? It was a $400 question. What is license plates? Very good. Ding, ding. You, yeah, you got I, if it. If you remember, so, Chris, we went to the license plate factory and we actually saw it. In, in, it was awesome. It was uh, saw it in progress and actually made a license plate for myself. So, yes, I, I do know the answer to that question. That's uh, That's awesome. Yeah, that was very cool. I, I thought it was uh, it was really nice to see, you know, uh, the department be mentioned on national TV in front of, you know, millions and millions of people. And hopefully it may lead to some people looking more into that. And uh, we, we tweeted that out. Uh, we're going to have it um, in our next newsletter. We'll, we'll have uh, we'll make sure that the prisoners that, that work in the license plate factory see it and the great MSI staff that, that run that. Uh, it's a great recognition. I even sent it to uh, Will uh, Rondo, who uh, who managed that operation for, for many years and just recently retired. Uh, so he thought that he got a real kick out of, of seeing that. So it's just really cool when the department can can be on national TV like that and get some recognition. Uh, I just thought it was a really cool thing. And just being a lifelong fan of Jeopardy would have been uh, was very cool to see that. And so hopefully everyone has seen that and shared that. And uh, just another just really cool thing to to start the week with. Yeah, I, I would I would say Good job getting that on Jeopardy, but I know you had nothing to do with that. So, um, I'll take all yeah, that is cool. No, yeah, yeah, you can't take credit for it. So, no, that is cool. And it's it's when you sent that to me, I was like, wow, that is Brown Jeopardy. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. So, um, good stuff. You got anything else, Chris? No, I think that is it. And we had another great episode. I hope people enjoyed the, the history lesson and on all the perspective that the Judd provided. And uh, I hope they they share it with. Uh, those that, that knew him, uh, that they work with him now, or that uh, are, are benefiting, uh, maybe unknowingly, from all the work that he's done, the forms that they fill out every day are ones that he created, you know, decades ago. Uh, and so he's going to have a long-lasting impact uh, on this department. So it was great to be able to chat with him on this uh, 50th anniversary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, thanks thanks to Judd for coming on and, and joining us. And make sure you stay tuned to a new episode of Field Days Podcast. All right. As always, thank you for listening. We'd love it if you would help us spread the word about the podcast. You can do that by subscribing to the show on iTunes and leave us a review. You can always follow the department on Facebook at MI Corrections and on Twitter at Michigan DOC, as well as the FOA account at MDOC FOA and the CFA account at MDOC CFA. And you can send any questions you have to the show using the hashtag AskFieldDays.